is in winter, Mick Jagger and his printer. I'm strong as a heavyweight, I'm dropping like a dinner plate. General, fix my back, crack it like a cracker jack. the calls, sparking under. Timber, how long? Iron and cold. How long? I know where it's sold. Hello and welcome to episode five of Station to Station. I'm your host, Michelle Bacon, and we'll be going behind the stages, venues, and studios of Kansas City's musical landscape, talking to the individuals who are making it happen. And today's podcast is going to be a little different than what I normally do, because I'm going to be talking to the fun-loving force behind Nan and the One Night Stands, and also Schwervon, and also all-around awesomeness, Nan Turner. Welcome, Nan. Thanks, Michelle. <laughs> that was so such I, an intro. Yeah, so I say this is going to be a little bit different because, Nan, you are just a wonderful performer. You do improv, you do all kinds of things, and you know, we jive very well, and I feel like we could probably come up with a comedy routine at some point. So I'm going to be a little off the cuff with today's podcast. It's going to be a little less serious, because when I asked you to be on the podcast, you were like, I thought I might, it might be too serious for me. Maybe a little serious. I mean, we'll, we'll get into the, we'll be getting into some stuff. I'm not afraid to get deep. Yeah. Good, good. Because we're going there. I hope so. Good. <laughs> But we're also going to, you know, do some silly stuff, too. Because we got a special connection, you and I. We do, we do. And I think people are probably like, wow, Michelle's podcast is really serious. So we're going to just blow that out of the water today. Yeah, we are. I hope you don't get fired. What? What? Uh Uh-oh. Watch out, Center Cuts podcast. So we, we could probably make this a very long podcast. We already talked for about an hour before we started doing this. We did. So I do want to make sure that the goal of this podcast is achieved, and that goal is to make sure people know more about you, who you are, what you've been doing as an artist, all that jazz. So I want to talk about when I first met you, 2012, I believe. Yes. 2012? Okay. 2012, April. And so you had emailed me before you moved here. You were still in New York. And yeah. you told me like, oh, my band Chorvon's going to be moving here. And, and somehow you found out about Deco Auto, which was the band that I was in back yeah. in those days. Um, I remember yeah. Matt like emailed Darren, his friend from high school, like one mm-hmm. of the connectors who, who lives here. And he was like, you know, what band should we contact? And Darren immediately was like, Deco Auto. Nice, nice. We're like, okay. It's like, cool band. Darren Welch of Found Sound, which is a really cool music store down in the crossroads. So you contacted me and I was like, who's this Nan and Turner person? (laughs) Weird. Yeah. But then, but she wants to play a show with me and her band's coming from New York. Okay, cool. And then I checked it out and turns out Chorvon ended up being one of my favorite bands. Oh! Still is. Still is. And so I met you at your first show in Kansas City, which was Mill the Map Fest yeah. at the old record bar. Oh my God, I was out of my mind because we had <laughs> literally moved like the day before. I was like, where am I? That's right, so- that's right, yeah. So had you ever been to Kansas City before? No. <laughs> oh my gosh. What? No. So yeah, I'm curious, like I don't think we've ever really talked about it. So you're from, well, 
you lived in New York for a long time. Yeah, I lived in New York for 16 years. Went to college in Jersey, grew up in Washington State. There's a lot more, but whatever. I lived in New York for, yeah, a long time. I still consider myself a New Yorker, but we were doing so much with our band then. We had been touring Europe and the States. We just wanted to do more and it was getting harder and harder to make rent. And we were just really frustrated. And I was touring a lot anyway. I remember I did a tour with my friend Jeff Lewis and a solo tour and Shorvan was touring. And it was just like, wow, I've barely been here this past year. I think that was like 2011. Mm -hmm. And so when Matt was like, well, do you want to just like go to Kansas and live in my dad's house and just make it our home base and just tour all the time and do the band. I was like, fuck yeah. Nice. (laughs) So what was the, your expectations versus the reality, I guess, of Kansas city when you got here? Well, I remember right when we got here and it was middle of the map, I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Like Mm -hmm. what? Like what an, I met so many um, like sweet people that night at Record Bar and like, then we played Darren and Kathy's, um, they worked out of that, out of Midwest Music Company, I guess, or that store, which is Mm -hmm. now Revolution. And we had a show there the next night. And I just remember like, we were there on like a first Friday and there were all these people and I was like, Kansas City is amazing. Like there was just like an unjaded quality and I saw like a lot of like different acts playing and people just supporting each other and I loved it. That's awesome. And I feel like I still feel that way often about Kansas City. Mm -hmm. You know, I think like sometimes as in any town I've lived in, I kind of consider New York and Kansas City my adult homes, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I would get frustrated in New York though too about like the scene or how to progress um, with what I wanted artistically. So I feel like the problems are kind of the same, actually. Sure. No matter where you live. I mean, I know these cities are very different and I like them kind of for different reasons and kind of the same too. I don't know. What am I talking about? I, 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 I went down a murky rabbit hole there, but I was like, well, it's real nice in here. <laughs> like, I feel like I, I often occupy a murky rabbit hole of conversation. <laughs> like, where's she going with that? We don't know. It's just a murky rabbit hole. <laughs> it'll, it'll come around later. I it comes I, back. Yeah. There's going to be. Like, I have to rest it. They have this thing in improv <laughs> about like how like you do like a game and it's really fun and you play that game, but then you have to like rest it and do something else for a while and then you can come back to the game. So we'll come back. Well, I'm going to just come back right now. You know, I I don't know that much about the New York music scene, but I do know that you have, it's obviously much larger because there's a lot more bands out there, but I would think that you would have to, you know, kind of carve out your own community within that. And I know that you did. Yeah, Yeah, that's what we did. I mean, like there were, there were so many different little scenes, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And I think that, um... Yeah, through Matt, like doing Olive Juice, which was a collective of musicians that kind of has been reminding me of Manor Records a little bit, Mm -hmm. like kind of a community of people kind of putting on shows together and helping promote each other. And like, um, we did that and through the connection with the anti-folk, you know, and Jeff Lewis and Kimya and the Sidewalk Cafe and just, I don't know, the friends that we made. It was really a, a neat scene. In terms of community here in Kansas City, I feel like it's kind of evolving, you know, like and changing. Mm -hmm. 
And it Absolutely. happened a couple of times since I've been here, which maybe it's always like that. I don't know. I feel like it kind of is. I mean, you know, like, honestly, I've only been playing music in Kansas City for about 10 years. So I probably just, so you came here in 2012. I had only been oh. playing for like a couple of years at that point. So I didn't know what had come before, but it seems like, yeah, I mean, within that 10 years, it's already evolved so much. And I think that's, you know, partially natural progression because some people move on to different things and then a new yeah. crop of people shows up and, yeah. you know, but I think... To me, it's been a very special community to be a part of because mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, we, we are obviously a lot smaller. So it seems like there are more people from different parts of the scene who go out to support each other because we all know like it's kind of hard to get support sometimes, you know, just yeah. like getting people to come out to your shows or getting paid enough, especially when you're doing that full time. Yeah, totally. So um, so you moved here, played that first show at Middle of the Map, and yeah. then four months later, you released Courage with Shorban, yeah. which yeah. is still one of my favorite albums of all time. Thank you. We just were like on a tour of blitz. Like we just like came out here. I was already setting up like a tour before we left New York because I was like, I guess it gave me like a focus, you know, because I was like, I'm moving. Like, it didn't really sink in that I moved until like a year after I moved. <laughs> right. Because I was just on like this touring blitz and we just set up tons of tours and we just, we released Courage and, you know, we toured Europe like every year. I mean, we had already toured Europe a bunch living in New York, but we just, yeah, we just kept it going and toured way more in the States by living in Kansas City than we ever have. Like, went to the West Coast did like mm -hmm. our East Coast loop. We kind of developed favorite places and would just do those a lot, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I definitely played more than I ever had with Matt, which was really good. And also I think because we're in a relationship, sometimes like it got hard, you know? Sure, and, of course, yeah. And Matt's dad also got sick and he has since passed. Um, and Matt and I have also separated, but at the time when we moved here, like I would say there was probably a good three years that we were just like, boom, 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 making it happen, doing it, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I loved it. And I don't regret that at all because I think it made me like such a better player. Mm -hmm. And there's something about touring which makes you like really thankful. <laughs> yeah. Things, you know, and it's really amazing to meet people from all over and find like these little kindred spirits, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I remember doing an interview with you guys for a series that I did for the bridge called Roadwork Ahead, which was just talking to a bunch of bands that uh, toured a lot. And yeah. you all toured a lot more than most bands at the time that I knew. Um, and, and you had said, one thing you would learn about touring was being in the moment and appreciating life and being thankful because there's, there's like a lot of, in my opinion, there's a lot of courage that comes from like getting out of your comfort zone every night, going to a different city, not necessarily knowing what to expect. You know, you walk into a venue, especially one you hadn't played, you have no idea what it's going to be like, you know, and, yeah. and I'm sure you have tons yeah. of stories about when it didn't go well or when it went really well unexpectedly, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. I think one thing I've learned 
is that I, I've always dealt with a little bit of anxiety and sometimes my anxiety before shows touring, it's funny how it would translate a couple of times into me feeling really angry. Hmm. Like, I know that sounds really odd. It's funny, like, I wish I had known myself better when I was actually in that moment to know that's what it was. But instead, I would just feel kind of angry. But those, actually, those shows where I felt kind of pissed off right before were actually the best, some of the best shows. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck was that? Was like, it just anxiety or was it like, I didn't get enough of a good dinner before I got on <laughs> Like, what was it? Could have been. Could have been any of those things. You yeah. Know? And then other times where you're like, this is going to be the best show ever. I feel so great. And then something falls flat when you're on stage and you have to deal with that. Like, I mean, it is kind of improv too, you know? You kind of have to learn how to roll with it. Only you do have like, you have a script, you know? Mm -hmm. But how you do it, maybe it's more like acting. Because like how you do it, you want it to be fresh and spontaneous right. for that show, even though you've done it like 200 times. Mm-hmm. You know, mm -hmm. that's yeah. true. Yeah. And that's, that's one thing I always appreciate, have always appreciated about your music in particular, you know, from Nan and the Wet Night Stands to that section during a Schwerbahn show where Matt writes a poem and you do a spontaneous interpretive dance. You know, it's like yeah. something yeah. so unexpected and so fun and it gets the crowd engaged, you know, because not too many other people do that. So I feel like crowd interaction is very important. And I can't think of anybody who would, you know, just be like on their phone, passively paying attention. And then they see this person get up and start doing a spontaneous dance. You know, they're going to pay attention. Oh, like, oh what's God. this lady doing? You know, it was Matt's idea for me to start yeah. doing it. Like, I love dancing, but I was, I remember the first couple of times I was terrified. And then once I started doing it, I was like, oh, this is fun and actually something that feels pretty natural. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it just you, kind of grew and grew and grew and grew. <laughs> mm -hmm. you, you seem pretty natural when you do it. <laughs> yeah. It's funny, though. Even the things that feel really good to me, I still get really scared. It doesn't stop. Right. But like, sometimes people have been surprised. They're like, oh, you're still nervous because, you know, you played 200 shows. And I'm like, yeah, it's just there. I've just learned to make friends with it more and be like, oh, there you are, nerves. And now it's like, if I'm not nervous, I'm like, mm -hmm. or if I don't have like a slight like pickup of adrenaline energy, I'm like, what's wrong? What's fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's part of the deal. I mean, it's like, yeah. it, it kind of it works as something to kind of drive us to do better as entertainers. Yeah, totally. When, when we're in the entertainment industry, you know, <laughs> yeah, you got to pick yourself up. You got to get to the stage. Just make it to the stage, Rose. That's all I'm saying. It's gravy. It's true.
on that, I do kind of want to go back a little bit further and talk about like kind of how you came into performing and playing music. Cause I don't think I really know that much about that part. Okay. Whether you started with music or some other performing art or, you know, like what kind of propelled you to do that stuff? Wow. Okay. As a kid, I played my friends' pianos all the time to the point where the parents of my friends were like, you need to get this girl piano lessons. <laughs> but you know what? I had bad teachers. And so like, it kind of like stomped out of me. Mm-hmm. Like my love, or I'd like play piano. Like this is a really weird thing, which I'm going to confess to you. But I would play the piano joyfully in secret. <laughs> <laughs> And I would make okay. little songs, but I didn't want anyone to know that I was getting into it. Why? Why do you think that is? I don't think I wanted to be made fun of. Okay. Yeah. I can't remember this, but someone must have made fun of me or made me feel like it wasn't okay to like express it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so interesting. That and then interesting. I, I took a lot of ballet, which I liked, but I didn't have the... They didn't have modern dance in my town. It was a tiny little town in -hmm. Washington State. So ballet was all I got, but I didn't look like, once I was a teenager, I was like, oh, uh uh-oh. I had had curves and I was like, "Mm, this isn't gonna work. (laughs) So basically when I went to college, that's kind of when the fire was ignited. You know, my my dad, who I didn't grow up with, but um, my parents divorced when I was really young. My dad was, um, he's a pianist, like as a hobby, but he's like amazing. And he writes and he was always very encouraging in my creativity, like my writing, you know, I always wrote. And he was always just like, what are you working on? Like treating me as if I was a valid artist at like age 12, you know what I mean? <laughs> Great, keep writing, keep doing it, you know? So once I got to college, Um, I was like, well, I think I just need to take an acting class. I'm really, I want to, I'm curious. And like, then I found out you could be a theater major and I didn't know that. Like I had just been living in such a naive world. I just, I had no role models or anyone that was like, hey, you know, you could study acting if you want and make that a thing. Like, Mm -hmm. and I would just remember people going, yeah, we're theater majors. You should be one. I was like, you can do that? (laughs) Oh my God, I have to. And then I discovered modern dance and I had a great teacher. Okay, this is how I got into music though. I was studying British political drama in London, bored by some of the plays I was seeing. And I feel almost guilty saying that, but because real theater people are going to be like, what the fuck? That's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) But all I wanted to do was like, go hear riot girl bands because like the summer before I went to London I had seen like a couple of bands like in Olympia which is only a few miles from where I grew up but I had no idea of the cool shit that was going on there like when you're in college you're just exposed to new music and so yeah so I just started seeing bands in London I was supposed to be writing papers on plays I was seeing instead I was like oh I just got this fanzine oh my god staying out like having a great time drinking Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's that's a good education in in a different way yeah 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 it just so anyway that experience really ignited something in me because I was like I just felt like I had something to express I didn't know what it was but I was like that 
you know, I could get a guitar. I could do that. And it was suddenly like my world just went. And so when I went back to school, like I started bands with some of my friends. And after college, one of those bands, we had a five-year run. We were called Bionic Finger. And it was four <laughs> women. And awesome. we all kind of learned how to play together. But we all wrote songs. It was kind of a great mix. Like when it worked, it was really great. But I really definitely developed my own sense of like songs. And I think I just wanted to do more of my stuff. So mm-hmm. I broke up the band. Wow. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I love those women to pieces. And they would say, oh, yeah, it's probably for the best. Well, I hope they would say that. But <laughs> you're going to have to interview them next. What did you think of what Nan said about this? <laughs> she was a bitch. And the way she <laughs> out with us was really not cool. I do remember they were very good friends and there was a lot of tears and I had trouble communicating. I was 20 something, you know, just like, but that's the stuff you learn. Mm-hmm. And then I started, I was hanging out at sidewalk around that time. And then I met Matt and then Schwervon started and the whole community it was just this thing of like, I think I want to play drums. And then you're just, you're in a band like two days later on stage playing drums. You right. Know? <laughs> and it's like, no one cared. It was just, just write something good. And like the music will just catch up, you know? And I feel like that's been my motto my entire life. <laughs> because yeah, I'm a mediocre beginner guitar player, but I kind of don't care. Like, I'm just like, whatever. Yeah, but you write good songs. Thank you. You write good songs and you're entertaining. And both of those things go a very long way. Thank you. I also, um, oh, I thought I was going to do acting too, alongside Bionic Finger. Like I I did a training program. But after that training program was over, I was like, no. It was kind of traumatizing a little bit. Except therapy, which was ultimately a very good thing. But... Yeah, I needed I needed a big pause on acting, and I just needed to create do something creative that felt really good. And so I was just like music for the next twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I moved here, I was like wanted to meet lots of. I just wanted to build a community. I realized, oh Nan, you moved across the country. What the fuck? Like, <laughs> you need you need more friends. Like you need to build a community. And so I started taking improv classes in between tours of Schwervon and that really like made me love acting again. I was like, oh, this is what I should have been doing. Like, this is fun. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, and, and like you said, you know, your first few years of being here, you were mainly touring. So, so that plus like just being in an entirely new atmosphere a new culture you know basically um that's going to be overwhelming for anyone so i can't see you know it'd be really hard to be like okay i'm going to do all these things and then i'm going to start doing this thing too you know so so it seems like you got into improv at the right time you know i think so too i mean yeah it really helped it helped too because you know, when you're in a band with someone you're partners with, it's such an insular world and it can get so isolating. And I think, um, you know, I d- it took me a, a second to realize, oh yeah, like in New York, I always had all these other friends and other outlets and other things and so did Matt. And it, on some level, maybe it was a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, okay, I need to get some of my own shit. And that makes me a nicer person to be <laughs> <laughs> it is maybe just good relationship 
stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Right. I wonder how you feel as far as like how music and how improv and any of the performing arts, like how that's helped you with your self-expression. I feel like improv help helps me actually play music in a strange way really? and have more, like it helps me take a little bit of the pressure off myself and have more fun and roll with things more, which is something that I needed. Mm-hmm. I think, I think I developed it naturally by the sheer doing of it like over and over for years. Right. I think that improv has enhanced maybe my Maybe my, just my confidence or my willingness to say, or my willingness to have shit go wrong and then laugh about it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I did some really bad improv shows and that was really good. And times right. where I felt really stuck and really terrified. And then to realize that like, oh, I just lived through, through that and no one died. And then you know that you have a show the next week or you're gonna do it again. And you're just like, oh. Oh, okay. So I don't have to take it so hard if like maybe it's sticky, you know? Mm-hmm. So I just think like improv has really enhanced, helped me the past few years for sure. Like have yeah. just even more fun in music, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, I am a huge perfectionist um, when it comes to music, especially, you know, I'm like, if I miss one note, I'm just like, oh my God, I'm terrible. Um, so, so I know that like, I know that's not necessarily a healthy thing, but, but like, I think improv stuff like that would be very helpful. But I also think it's like a super brave thing to do. I was talking to Crystal about this in um, a couple podcasts ago because she, um, she helps run tribe university, which is what you're, you're a part of. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had uh, workshops with Trey. Yeah, and she was talking about him too, and and it was just like she was like, yeah, you should come out and do it sometime. Like I probably won't because it's it sounds like you know talking about getting out of your comfort zone. Yeah, I mean, it, it was freaking terrifying. It was terrifying. Mm-hmm. You know, doing it so much the year before the pandemic, like because well now that there was a there was a place with a mini bar that a couple of friends started called um, Improv Shop. And it's no longer, which is way too bad. But I'm really glad that I got like a year there because I had great training and I also like got to just practice it literally almost every week. And just like, I don't know, that's what you need in a weird way to just like learn how to get like semi-comfortable on stage Mm -hmm. and not even comfortable. Like I'm always still get the butterflies, but you know what I mean? Where you're actually like noticing maybe that you're in the moment and reacting to your partner and not thinking and you're just in it you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's exciting which which really ties into music too you know yes yes because oh my god definitely terror playing some of those shows like with matt like with schwervon opening for the vaselines like other times you know just like terror but you just like oh yeah, my drum teacher told me to breathe. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan of like getting like support and mentors and little mantras, you know, that you can Mm -hmm. tell yourself like embrace the disaster is a great one. Yes. And also breathe. But it's amazing how you forget when you're in the midst of terror, your hands (laughs) camping up on your drumstick or something, which was Mm -hmm. one of my personal favorites. Yep, yep. 
Fucking breathe him. <laughs> you know, sometimes I, I get into a mode before a show where like I'm nervous and then for some reason, like all the music goes out of my head. You know, it's like, okay, we're about to play this song. I have no idea how to play it. <laughs> but then you just start doing it and take a deep breath first, whatever it is. And even though you're not like necessarily conscious of the notes you're playing or the beats you're playing, it just comes out. Yeah. Hopefully. I mean, maybe it doesn't always come out, but usually it comes out. Totally. Yeah. Oh my God. So. <laughs> What's the name of our band again we're going to start? Oh, Streaming Services. Streaming Services, yeah. Come into a town near you. Watch out, everyone. <laughs> maybe I'll play the flute. Oh, I played the flute in junior high school band. So you were a flautist. For a moment. I was always second chair because I couldn't be bothered to practice <laughs> enough to be first. <laughs> Did you like flutes? No. I mean, <laughs> kind of. Like, it was fun to, like, play Proud Mary and realize that I could do that on a flute, right? Yeah, yeah. But, but did I like it? No. Like, I liked it when the, the teacher, Mr. Parrish, would say, man, do you want to play the bass drum? Yeah. And then I felt like I was getting away with something because girls didn't <laughs> Yeah. It wasn't the 50s, but it was like the 80s in a small town in the middle of nowhere. And I was like, there's the bass drum. Boom. <laughs> man, just can you not hit it quite so hard? <laughs> there. <laughs> so did, did you get assigned the flute then? No. I think so I you chose it? believe I chose it. <laughs> like, oh my God. Like, why didn't I pick electric guitar or like drums? Because I didn't think I could. That's what it is. Going back to the mentorship thing. Yeah. Well, I'm sitting here saying this to you. I get that. So obvious. But I yeah. really did not know any other girls or women playing music. And I thought you had to mm -hmm. be super accomplished. Like in high school, I liked the Indigo Girls. Um, I still do. They're awesome. Mm -hmm. And Edie Raquel and like, then like a bunch of like dude new wave bands who are great, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. But I thought you had to be at a certain level to do that. Right. So that's why Riot Girl really like spoke to me because I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And and that was something we were talking about offline too, um, just not knowing when we were younger that that was even a possibility because nobody told us it was, or there weren't that many examples of women out there doing that. Yeah. And also internet was not a thing. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. We got to remember that too. Cause even in college, yeah. I was in college in the nineties, like the early mid nineties and like Sure, we send emails once every two weeks. Right, yeah. <laughs> it was not a thing. People no. were calling on the fucking phone, man. Yeah, I had Napster. I remember like in my college dorm, <laughs> one of my first things was like, I got Napster on my new, my cool new computer. So I would download a song and then, you know, I'd go to class because it would take three hours to download one song. But then I'd come back and be like, ooh, I got gin and juice on my <laughs> got this mp3 on my computer now and now i can listen to gin and juice all day and then i'm going to download <laughs> one other song and then i'll have another song to listen to tomorrow <laughs> that's so exciting it's crazy so it really was like word of mouth or like mm -hmm. right or there were a bunch of like fanzines i got from london and then yeah it was just amazing 
Mm-hmm. Like you would literally send mail and you'd get mail and it was just like cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, like access is a huge thing. That's like uh, one of the good things about the internet and being able to find all of these new artists and stuff like that. But another part of it is just like the general idea of what women have been in music for so long, you know, and we've talked about this before. I've talked about this to a lot of other women musicians, um, just like that they weren't just viewed as like this anomaly, like, oh yeah, they're really good. And, and not in a way where they were sexualized or something like that, you know? Yeah. It's, it's such a weird thing. I definitely had a bunch of comments about like, I don't know, at like early shows, like a guy being like, telling another friend asking if I was wearing a bra like weird shit like that yeah like you know and at that time I was like pretty self-conscious about my body like yeah it's like I don't know just the like people just being surprised you know right if there's one thing I could look I could go back to like I wish I could tell my younger self that was just starting that I was doing great Mm -hmm. and to have more confidence that I was doing good like somehow to give myself confidence to just be like, you're doing great and just try not to let, I don't know, I guess you can't go back and take away all your insecurity, but I really wish I could have just like, cause I was, I was doing good. Like I see it now years yeah. later. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Yeah. Especially in the moment and when you're young, uh, I can think of so many instances where I should have told myself the same thing. Right? And, yeah. And it's interesting when you talk about like when you were playing piano in secret yeah, because you were afraid to get made fun of. And like, I, I didn't have the same experience because I did grow up playing piano, but I remember why I quit because I was just like, I wasn't that into it. And a lot of it was because I was like the only kid in my school doing piano. Mm-hmm. Um, And like, it was a very, it was kind of an isolating thing because nobody else really understood it. And like, it wasn't necessarily like a cool thing to do. I quit when I was like 12. Yeah. And because I was just like, well, I'm never going to be cool if I play piano. But turns out it wasn't cool without piano. So. (laughs) But you're so cool. I know. Well, yeah, I mean, it took about 20 years, but I made it. (laughs) Yeah, the secret is like, to just let yourself be really uncool and then you're cool. Right. I think I learned a lot about that from Timmy's song about being uncool. Right. <laughs> or tired of being cool or I don't know, I need to listen to it after this, but yeah. Well, we're pretty cool, I feel like. Right, we're totally cool. We should just name our band Cool. talked a lot about Schwervon, but I want to talk about your current projects yeah. and then the one night stands which actually started back in New York City and you had recruited 
you know, different dancers there. Mm-hmm. And since then you've moved it here to Kansas City. And I actually was a part of it for a short time. You were. Early, yeah. early on. And who knows what may happen in the future? I could, yeah, nobody knows. Nobody knows. <laughs> but you had a question and I just intercepted. Well, I mean, I just wanted to talk more about that. Uh, it's a really, it's a really fun project, and like, I, I don't think there's was or maybe still is that many people in Kansas City doing something like that, where where you're incorporating like music and performance arts, and like, you know, like there's obviously theatrical productions and stuff like that, but like, you know, music is still at the center of, you know, real songs good songwriting, but also you're bringing in all of this great performance art and again, engaging crowds. Yeah, you know, I think that that whole thing started, I was just, I just wanted to play with a lot of different people on my guitar songs and other songs I wrote, but also I had choreographed some stuff for Kimya um, when we met at a South by Southwest and this was right after um, Juno came out and she was going to play in New York a couple weeks from that time. And I had told her that I had started a dance troupe. Oh, because we did like a show learning, like we sang Eye of the Tiger a cappella and did a dance to it. Nice. And I remember, and I don't even, I think one day I just woke up and was like, I need to dance again because I did so much in college and I loved it. Mm-hmm. And it was this weird thing. And my friend Angela, who's one of my best friends, who's such an amazing songwriter and dancer, performer, um, and pastry chef, by the way, mm. um, she just supported me from the get-go. I remember calling her and going and being like, if I did this dance, what? I mean, would you be in it? Is this like crazy? And she'd be like, man, you have to do it. You have to do it. And so like, I was inspired and got a bunch of musicians and we did a dance. And then I told Kimya and she's like, you have to be my dance troupe. And that was like a year long adventure of like choreographing for her. And so then when I thought about my music again, I was like, oh, maybe I could do a dance. Like, why didn't I think of that before? And so I had like one like song that was a little poetry rappy and I decided why not try it? Mm-hmm. And then I just started writing more. And it was kind of, or, it's kind of been an organic development. Like, because I was like, I can always put as much or as little pressure on it as I want. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it's a slow growth pattern, not like a tumor, but like, <laughs> But like over 10 years, I feel like it has kind of been evolving naturally. And I actually started here, I started writing raps that maybe told a little bit more of a narrative at times and Mm -hmm. also were maybe not afraid to go a little bit sad or dark for a minute and pop back up, you know? Mm -hmm. And that was really great. And then I was like, oh, maybe I can do more and more and more. And then now I'm working on a mini musical of 90s figure skaters, Tanya Harding, Nancy Carey, and Exana Bayol. And Courtney Love is involved somehow. And they're all, um, they're all gonna have scenes and songs together and with their mothers. And there's, it's, wow. it's a vast project. So that is a little bit connected to Nan and the One Night Stands. I mean, I guess it is because I'm breaking out some of these songs at shows, you know? Mm-hmm. But but it also feels like its own monster, too. Uh, it sounds like quite an undertaking. 
I know. <laughs> like, what am I doing? During the choir, quarantine. AKA quarantine, yes. Um, I started taking this uh, creativity class with an improviser who's done a lot with like Chicago Second City, but is living in Scotland right now. This class that she offered was so interesting because it was like a lot of writing prompts and a lot of free writes and a lot of like dialogue ideas and like, but also like fun, you know, like I make that sound like it's not fun. Also fun stuff. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like improvise a monologue wearing something out of your closet and film mm -hmm. it you know, with your phone. Mm -hmm. Like, so a lot of these exercises were super fun and made me feel like I was improvising even though I wasn't because I was alone in my apartment. But I started writing more of this musical during that time because I would just take some of those exercises and plant it on my figure skaters. So yeah. I'd be writing dialogues between Tanya and Nancy and all of a sudden Oksana's dead mother shows up and is a ghost who just keeps appearing in scenes and causing trouble. Wow. Okay. You know, this makes no sense, but it does to me in my head. <laughs> I'm taking a lot of liberties. This thing is like... Well, sure. <laughs> it's not factual at all. But That's now okay. It doesn't need to be. Now there's 16 characters and... I need to like, I need to push myself to just get some kind of draft mm -hmm. of the whole thing and get a bunch of people to read it so that I can like, know, is this thing gonna, is this thing gonna <laughs> land? I mean, we know it's gonna land on the moon, but is it gonna? Absolutely. <laughs> but here on earth, how's that gonna work? <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, it's weird. I've got my own system. Like I was just writing these like two person scenes with all these characters and now I'm trying to connect plot lines and mm. I decided to put it into final draft, which is a, is a good step because then, oh, you can see the dialogue better. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> so you said you've been writing, you know, for a long time. Have you done like plays and stuff in the past or is it mostly, okay. So mostly it's, like prose, like just long, yeah, long form. Yeah, prose, like I journal every day. Okay. I, maybe, I feel like it's sort of a mental health thing. Like I just journal in the morning, like three pages every day. Like it's great. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I write more, but um, yeah, like uh, songs. Songs are the main writing I've, I've been doing. Poems. Maybe I don't show anyone ever. <laughs> and then little prose things that I don't really show. You know what I mean? Or, yeah. or maybe I'll read aloud to this, like that class that I was in. Mm -hmm. You know, because everyone's in the same boat of kind of writing these whatever free writes. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. So think... this, is, this is like a new weird project. So I guess it would make sense that I'm a little bit like, what am I doing? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, and, and especially, you know, if you have, you're doing other stuff too and mm -hmm. keeping not necessarily like you don't need to rush on it or anything. So take your time with it and then it'll organically become what it's going to become, right? I like that. You just yeah. kind of coached me through that. I love that. That's what I'm here for. I'm also a life coach. Coach Bacon. Coach Bacon, here to improve your life. Love it. <laughs> now. I kind of forgot we were on a podcast for a minute. We kind of are. 
Okay. Are we though? I mean, it's it's not a podcast if nobody listens, right? You're really on this. No one's listening. I'm just I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Somebody's listening, and now I'm insulting them because they're like, I'm listening. Yeah. <laughs> I think they're saying it exactly how you just said it. Probably. I'm listening. I'm listening. Yeah. So thank you for listening, listener. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not dogging you. Hey, little listener out there, <laughs> can you hear us? Yeah, so Dan and I are going to start writing theme songs and jingles. That's the next thing after our own podcast launches and our band. The first one is called, um, You Woke Up Today, Hooray! You Woke Up Today, Hooray! And now do it! Yeah, I mean, that's going to make me get out of bed in the morning. I mean, I would probably... It really would. Yeah. Yeah, but I'd get up, so... That's yeah. that's the goal, right? Get people awake. Get them moving. Um, well, I don't know this, but Michelle just did a funny shoulder shimmy. I did. When she said, get them moving. Get them moving. I'm still shimmying. We're on Zoom right now. <laughs> I wanted to do this in person. However, I don't have the audio capabilities today. It's sad. But it's okay because we're going to go get pork chops and ice cream later. Yeah. In person. It'd be weird. I mean, I guess we could do it on Zoom. That'd be weird. Like yeah. separately have pork chops and ice cream. Not as fun. No, just, <laughs> so sad. I'm like, <laughs> as I'm cutting into my little pork chop, I'm like, hi. Oh, that's good. Yeah, how's your pork chop? Mm. <laughs> like what astronauts feel like when they're on the space shuttle for like years and they're like, oh, I really miss my my partner at home, but... Aww. Sometimes I see them on a screen. Okay, I'm gonna okay. Go look at my space plan. <laughs> I'm gonna go eat some astronaut ice cream. <laughs> Is that a real thing? I don't know. I used to eat that when I was a kid. Yeah. Do you, okay. Here's a question: okay. Are astronauts are do they have to have a project like when they're in space? Like like oh, like a space project? Like are they assigned like Margaret? is studying the effect of space on plants or whatever. I would think they would have some sort of task. And Clyde is doing chemistry experiments. <laughs> it depends. Like, what's, what are they going to space for in the first place? And then their space-related tasks. Yeah. I don't know the answer to this. This is beyond the scope of this podcast. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> well, I don't want to go to space. I I did want to go to space when I was a kid, yeah. Because uh, main, mainly because the astronaut ice cream was so good, but that's neither here nor there. Um, no, I don't but not anymore. No, because I haven't tried it. That's true. You haven't. Oh wait, the ice cream or going to space? <laughs> I guess both. Okay. Okay. Well, I haven't tried it in a long time, and it might not be good anymore. But when I was a kid, it was good. It's like that freeze dried cream or whatever it is let's get real is it satisfying it was but again i was a child so it may not be satisfying as an adult i'll get back with you on that podcast we're gonna eat (laughs) ice cream we should do that because i'm curious now and we're gonna get neil armstrong on the horn (laughs) (laughs) okay this podcast is gonna be awesome seriously though what are three professions you would never want to do oh my gosh 
I would say astronaut because I don't ever want to be an astronaut because going to space seems terrifying. And, you know, like the whole zero gravity thing, I feel like I already get motion sickness just being in cars. So I feel like I would just, I'd just be puking into space, you know? So nobody wants to do that. Um, Now you're putting me on the spot. Whose podcast is this? Okay. I can think of so many. Yeah. Dentist. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't want to work on people's teeth. Right? And imagine if they were really gross. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be a dentist. I wouldn't want to be many kinds of doctors, like a surgeon. Yeah, I wouldn't think I could do that. Like, ever. I don't want to be a pilot. I don't want to be a bus driver. Like, that amount of responsibility. I like a lot. Yeah. I'm an anxious flyer, too. Like, I don't Mm. know. Yeah, and the responsibility of like taking hundreds of people through the air. Yeah. It's a big, it's a big responsibility. It's really big. And I don't want to be in the military ever, unless I was like an undercover person who was like anti-military, secretly in the military, okay. helping people in the military, like cope psychologically with the military. Okay. Done. Okay. Okay. So like a mental health, yeah, like a covert mental health yeah. helper for the Help. military. Okay. But now I'd be off the hook for having to do any of the physical chores. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, one of, you know, when you, when they're like, oh, what do you want to do with your career? And I had like the most lame career things. When I was like three years old, I wanted to be a bus driver and a taxi driver. <laughs> I don't know why. It just seemed like a fun thing to do. Um, I think he was a taxi driver. <laughs> <laughs> Where to? <laughs> Oh my God! You Where are you be, going? It would be the best because <laughs> you wouldn't want to talk. No. Yeah. No. That's why I could never do like Uber driving or any. Ta- yeah, taxi, Uber, any of that. People always want to, but you know, a lot of people don't want to talk. Yeah. I don't, but they always. Yeah, people but always. But look, do. here we are on a podcast talking. <laughs> I know it's very strange that I would have a podcast, but here we are. But here we are. The but secret here we are. need to talk. <laughs> it's kind of like being a taxi driver, except I don't have to take you anywhere, so less just, responsibility. Just to the fun linguistic <laughs> planet. <laughs> I love linguistics, though. I love linguini. Mm, with clams. Yeah. No. No, you don't like clams. Okay. Just cheese. Just cheese. Yeah. This is great. This is a great episode. I, I mean, like. I'm enjoying it. I really, I wonder, I'm probably annoying multiple listeners out there. Nah. Well, nah. they'll they'll just turn off if they don't like us. Yeah, that's true. And we don't need them anyway. Yeah. I mean, we do need listeners. We just don't need those listeners, right? Yeah, we don't need the ones that are, <laughs> what is this? The haters. <laughs> Only podcast that has one listener and one hater. (laughs) And they're both the same person. No, they're not, because you're one of them. You're not a hater. You're nice. I'm a lover, not a hater. Nobody likes to sing. Yeah, because we're going to have jingles. That's right. I'm just loosening up, loosening up the brain fibers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Brain fibers. (laughs) (laughs) When your spine is so bent, give me all the door. Not a percent. Space is the place. Space is the place. Space is the place. Space is the place. I don't know. 
we're back on track. Uh, we were talking about Nan the One Night Stands, yes, which yes. yeah, and which you released an album earlier this year called yep. High Caliber, mm-hmm. and it's great. Um, I, I was just I was wondering, you know, like obviously, core very yeah. difficult. We didn't none of us got to play out, didn't get to go out, didn't get to do anything, and like. I remember seeing you, you were at the first show at Lemonade Park that I went to this year and you were at the second show. I know we hung out like at a couple shows because we were both like, oh God, back in the world. So weird. But I was going to ask like, have you, have you, have you played at all since quarantine? I've only, okay. One thing I, I started doing was a bunch of videos, which was really helpful. Which are awesome. Thank you. They're on my Instagram and I have a YouTube thing. Just go to nanturner.net. You'll just get hooked up, man. You'll just get it. You'll just get it. Um, so I did a bunch of character videos, little little like easy dance moves, teaching a couple dance steps. Like, um, But then it kind of devolved into scenes and characters. And then I started um, rehearsing at a space very close to me. And then I started like recording myself doing songs, which is helpful. But mm-hmm. no, I haven't performed in like a year and a few months. But I did go to an open mic a few days ago. And oh my God, I'm so glad oh, yeah. I, because I just had to prove to myself that I, I, I can still do this. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and it was really fun. It was really fun. And, and, you know, some stuff didn't work and that was good. I was like, thankful. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, good. Like, shit's breaking down. I got to get a new cord. I got to get a battery for my pedal. Excellent. And the track I was worried about playing from my phone, it totally worked. And I was like, amazing. Nice. And then I got so into the guitar song that I got on the ground and I did like a plow pose. Like, it was just like, I was like, I still got it, man. You still got it. Like, like my role with it or try to have fun with whatever it was there. And I was like, oh, okay, it's there. Yeah. And I'm yeah. kind of flying because I did perform with Schwervon last fall. Oh, wait. Oh, yeah. I went to that. That's and right. That, That's right. That was actually really wonderful and amazing. And I was so yes. happy. And Matt and I had so much fun. And like, I don't know. I couldn't believe that I was actually playing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, what the hell? <laughs> but, but two performances in a year and four months is like insane. It's crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, that is like, what happened? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember going to that show now. I, I kind of forgot because I was just like, oh my God, I get to see Schwervon. And I went and then I stood, like, I stood all the way in the back, like, kind of by myself because I was like, oh my God, there's people. This is crazy. Um, and then I left, like, promptly after because I was just like, I can't say hello to anybody. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. know. Yeah, it was so weird, but. I, I yeah. understand. There was just like this level of anxiety mm-hmm. with social encounters and like we were all, yeah, I mean, it was just like, my anxiety was sort of manifesting itself in like these routines, you know? Mm-hmm. Like I was like, I didn't realize almost how anxious I was. It's just I knew I had to do these certain routines and take my vitamins and and do this and then exercise and then do that. And like, I was on this weird, like, I don't know. It wasn't weird, it was healthy, but I realize now that I was just, I was experiencing like this weird collective trauma and also just anxious. 
Right. Yeah. And, and I already and, had anxiety. So just, you know, you can imagine. Exactly. <laughs> oh yeah. I can imagine because I am the same way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and that's what we talked about that first Lemonade Park show that we saw each other at, you know, cause okay. I, I think we both showed up maybe by ourselves or something and it's already, it's just already weird having to emerge from this like year of cocooning yeah. and, and like seeing all these people that you are friends with, or, you know, not even friends, but like acquaintances, people that you like that you haven't seen in so long. And like, even just finding things to talk about. Cause it's like, so what have you been doing? Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. you couldn't do anything, you know? <laughs> like, what do you say? Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. I've been doing some creative stuff, but like not that much. And like, yeah. what? I don't know. I've been suffering like you. <laughs> that would have been a great response. Yeah. Well, you can say I, you can have that next time. You need to yeah. use it. I'm suffering. Roll <laughs> under the bridge. <laughs> there you go. But but like one thing I did appreciate is like reconnecting with people like you. I um, know. You know, and be like, oh, I remember Nan and how much I like her. She's the best. That's how so. I feel about you shucks so but you are playing a show on july 3rd correct yes. july 3rd at 7 30 and i love that i'm playing early and it's at, <laughs> at lemonade, lemonade park right yeah yep and it's gonna be a few guitar songs like as much as i love my poetry dance numbers i like to like have the palette cleansers of a few guitar songs and other stuff going on so it's not just like words 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 ah my brain you know <laughs> it's good to mix it up yeah um yeah and donna tracy will be there cool. dancing um we've been preparing we've been training nice nice <laughs> dancing a lot i was gonna make up something but you know i you would you would see through the lie <laughs> i would see through the lie miles and lifting weights and drinking raw egg. <laughs> you should do a video of you all like drinking raw egg that's what i yes i want to do it Am I really gonna drink it? No, but you won't. Yeah, know. don't really. Yeah, you just have to make it make it real. You gotta sell it. <laughs> well, clearly you're directing this video, so. All right. Well, I'm there. I mean, I'm really only directing the egg parts, but. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm I'm your egg director. Bacon egg coach. Oh my god, it's going back to the whole bacon and eggs thing. Oh my. Goodness. Oh my god, it is. Ah, full circle. Well, hey, that was a full. Circle. <laughs> Although that might have been before the podcast started, so our listeners don't know what we're talking about. But July 3rd, it's going to be a really fun show. Sorry, I totally segged into No, my good to seg. That's a good seg. Yeah, but I'm back. Matt is also playing with his band, Major Matt Mason USA. And let me just tell you, it's amazing. Like, I, I am a fan. We were in a band together, but I'm also a fan of Matt's solo music. And this band is just great. You're going to love it. Yeah, I haven't had a chance to see him with the with that iteration of his band yet. So so good, and yeah. also Killer City is playing, and I think Nuthatch Forty Seven is that. Oh, wow, and I Jonathan yeah. from Salty. I don't know some of the players, but I'm sure I'll have a good time. And there's a barbecue. I mean, it says barbecue. So oh like, shoot! Yeah, I'm fully expecting some kind of vegan barbecue situation. And if they don't, oh have, heck yeah, I am going to raise a sink. <laughs> <laughs> you should raise a stink. I feel like they'll have something. Who says raise a stink? You yeah. just did. <laughs> yeah.
Um, and then you wanted to talk about the issues of mental health, which yes, agree is very big. I would love, just on a selfish, personal level, I would love more affordable mental health help. Because I see a therapist now, and I really like her, but it costs, you know, and she's even giving me a discount, and it still is a lot. And I have mm-hmm. to sort of, like, skip sessions to, like, afford it. Like, and I'm just like, you know what? Ah! It shouldn't be that way. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. And I, try, I tried actually to go through, and I know other friends have had success with this. I tried actually to go through Truman and see a therapist there because I know it would have been, like, next to nothing. And, like, mm-hmm. um, they just never called me back. Oh, that sucks. Like I, I really tried to like stay in touch with them and it was a three month process and I was like, I don't mind waiting four months. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But then it just like, it got to a point where I was like, oh, this isn't happening. Okay. Yeah. And I've heard that similarly from other people. Uh, like part of it, I'm sure is just this huge backlog of people yeah. and mm-hmm. probably not enough staff. But I did this mental health survey a couple months ago. I don't know if you took it, but. I don't remember. I did listen to the podcast where, yes, Stephanie was talking about. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, that was that was kind of the jumping off point because we started talking about it and like, yeah. man, I wish there's something we could do. And, you know, she was a mental health professional for what? She was a case manager for a while, for yeah. quite a while, actually. And so we kind of formulated the survey together and, and I put it out like for the bridge and I got a lot of great responses from it yeah. from musicians. Yeah, I'm actually working on a series that's going to be rolling out a bit in July, just talking about like, obviously affordability and access is a huge thing for a lot of people, but in particular, you know, creatives and working artists, because a lot of times, you know, we're contract workers or freelance workers or whatever, it's something that we're not getting any kind of benefits out of. So that's like a huge thing as well as like, there's just a lot of unique challenges that come with being a creative. And in particular, you know, like we were talking earlier about being a touring musician, that presents its own separate set of challenges. So I'm really interested in talking to more artists about that because Mm -hmm. it's, it's such a, it's a very specific thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think my stint with Matt as a touring musician, it was really hard to make ends meet. And we had a lot of help on the other end of like, being able to live in an affordable housing situation, you know, which helped tremendously. I don't think we could have done it. And even the amount we did was only sustainable for very short periods, you know? Mm-hmm. I think maybe other artists that have had a little bit more success maybe have an easier time touring. But it's funny, I wonder, I wonder if like there's just problems at every level. You know, even the artists you see that are successful, like maybe Lucy Dacus. Like, I see a lot of ads for her tour right now, so I'm thinking about her. But, Uh, you know, maybe she's, like, making barely enough to survive. We don't know. Right. Yeah, and and it's like, you know, you think about different markets you go to, and you you just don't know necessarily what you're going to make. I mean, you know, a lot of artists do have guarantees, but... Not every time, <laughs> you know, like, okay, well, I'm, I'm playing uh, this good show in New York tonight, but then tomorrow we're going to go to Philly and play another show because it's on the way to the next place. And we don't know because we've never played in Philly before. So we might make, you know, no money because that's not our market, you know? So there's so much, there's just so much volatility, I feel like in that 
in that yeah. world and just having no idea. And then, you know, like you said, we're, we're talking about like not eating right. You, it's just a very different kind of lifestyle overall. Yeah. You have to be ready for anything. You have to sometimes sleep on floors, but now that we're older, we don't want to do that anymore. Yeah, so, no. so like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like now we are old enough to where we got a budget for a hotel room. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's in my budget. I got to make at my job before I leave. Yeah. Whatever. Right. But most yeah. people don't have other jobs. I mean, because it's just like, how the hell? You have to, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I agree that mental health is obviously a huge issue worldwide overall. But yeah. I, th- I think it's really interesting from, from the standpoint of a creative. Yeah, because it is interesting how mental health can really suffer on tour mm-hmm. from actually kind of simple like self-care things, you know, that like when you're in this situation, it's just really hard, mm-hmm. really hard. You know, what would be really cool is if they had like, <gasps> this would be so cool if they had like therapists on site sometimes for like, like at the venues bands, or? That, bands that roll in or like. I don't know if there would be a stigma around that or people would be embarrassed, but like, I just feel like every four cities on a tour, I would totally love to go talk with Sheila, the German therapist for an hour and just like dump whatever frustration or anything that was going on. Mm -hmm. I'm sure I would feel better, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, some of those bigger bands, they'll have like massage therapists come in and stuff like that. And I I yeah. feel like that's a very similar thing. It's like, it's wellness, you know? Maybe people actually, most people are savvy and they like actually just call their therapist, you know? And on the other hand, it's like how many, how many people do even have therapists? Because again, like access and affordability. Yeah. Right. Can you afford it as a struggling band on tour? Like mm-hmm. until recent years, people have not told you that mental health is a priority it's usually just like oh stuff it down you know but but now it's only now like the stigma is being removed to a certain point or like yeah like therapists every few cities and then like little support groups Mm -hmm. and if if your band is experiencing tension you can have (laughs) like a little like mediator or whatever that would be great i want to see that that TV show. Like that sounds like a great reality show. Let's do, right? let's start that. Right. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll hire a band that's like, <laughs> has really strong different personalities. Yeah. It'd be and kind of like the real world for musicians, right? Oh yeah. 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 And I've got a sucker punch like Betty Davis funk. Women on the inside. Time to take a joyride. No time to divide. Hold on to fake pride. How long? Oh, yeah, and I guess things are getting better with more representation, but we still have more work to do. We still have a lot. Yeah, we have a long way to go, and especially, like, this is something we talked about offline. We haven't mentioned it here yet, but especially in terms of trans and non-binary artists, you know, I, I think that that needs to be a priority, even on my end, as far as, like, finding out about more artists. I Like, I want to seek out more of that because... 
I want that representation to be there, you know, because kind of like what we said earlier, just the whole idea of women in music being an anomaly. I feel like that is kind of getting assigned to artists of color or um, trans artists, you know, just because you don't see as many of them in a certain world or or also like getting put in a certain genre. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember who it was, but I was listening to an interview with an artist and, and she's a black artist, a black woman. And she was talking about like, I don't make R and B. Like I make like electronic dance music. And, but every time she tried to shop her album, it was like, Oh, well you're R and B, but she wasn't at all. Like if you listen to it, I remember who it was now. It's this artist from New Orleans named Don Richard. And she was just like, I, the only reason they put me in the R&B category is because I'm black, which is ridiculous. Like if you go and listen to her music, it's pretty electronic. It's like electronic with some hints of like New Orleans sort of thing. You know, that's the thing that really annoys me about the overall music industry, you know, and it's like when, when, when representations out there, it often gets put in these little boxes. Yeah. I mean, do you think it's going to be like that for a while? Like a little bit awkward? I think everything's awkward. (laughs) Yeah. Everything is awkward. Yeah. I know what you mean about like things being in boxes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I want more, more non-binary and trans and, Mm -hmm people playing and people of color just so it becomes normalized. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's about the music and not about that. Right. And I think like, you know, in response to you asking if it's awkward, I think that part of it will be until those, those kinds of boxes are removed. And I feel, I hope that that's something that happens. It's like as, as more people start playing music or we start finding out about it because we have the internet I feel like people just always want to classify and, and that goes beyond music. I think people are just looking for like ways to relate to things. From the standpoint of somebody who works at a radio station where we try to like play all kinds of different things. And then and then we hear from people who are like, well, I only like this kind of music, so you should stop playing the other kind of music or, or whatever the case is. It's like, well, we're not trying to do that. We're just trying to play music that's good. And we don't think about genre because... I don't know, like you get it because you're an artist, you're a musician, so you you can respect music of all sorts. Yeah. You know, so I I don't know. It really bugs me, the whole idea of genre and classification, because then that that limits people, that limits your audience. And then you're especially like, again, going back to this artist who is a black woman who is making electronic music, but puts it get, gets put in the category because she's black. Um, it, it really limits what they're able to do as an artist and it limit and automatically, you know, if you say, okay, this person is a country artist or this person's a whatever artist, then there's just this automatic reaction of like, well, I don't like that then because I don't like that kind of music. And I don't think that's the way it should be. But I just got off on a tangent. I liked it, though. Because we're talking about representation. But I think it all feeds into the same kind of machine, you know? Yeah. But I agree with you. Absolutely. There absolutely needs to be more representation in music. And like here in Kansas City, too. I hope we're trying. I know I'm trying. I know you're trying. I know there are a lot of folks that are trying. Yeah, it seems it. Way more than a couple of years ago. It's, it's yes. good. Mm-hmm. It's, really, it's happening. But yeah, I want more. Yeah. 
Because I just want more. I have a hunger for more. <laughs> That's our second jingle. <laughs> I'm going to have to copyright this podcast because I feel like people are just going to steal all of our good ideas. No. Oh, my God. I wonder if we're going to get a hater. Oh, I'm, I'm ready for some hate mail. Are you? Okay. I don't what know if I'm ready, actually. It's all directed towards me. Are you still going to be my friend? Yeah, I'm going to fight them, probably. <laughs> I'm not going to be ready. Yeah, if if they if they send me hate mail to me, then I'll probably just crumple into a ball for a few days. But if they send me hate mail against you, then I'm going to be like, yo, we're fighting now. And where, where would you meet for the supposed fight? Mm, probably somewhere in the West Bottoms. No, the East Bottoms. East Bottoms is a little more uh, desolate now so compared to the West Bottoms. So we'll meet in the East Bottoms in Electric Park. Okay. What would, you there. Wear? what would you wear? <laughs> Sorry, that's a really vain point or question, but um, if you had to fight someone, what Probably would like a full-on clown suit. That's amazing. Because I want to make it like weird. Or maybe like a f- fuzzy, a fuzzy costume, like an animal costume. Yeah. Yeah, right? Because would- they'll, never, they'll never expect it unless you- they listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you would disarm your opponent. Yeah. With what you wore. With comedy. Mm-hmm. Look at that. I think that's a good place for us to end this podcast yeah. because we're going to disarm them with laughter. That's yeah. what we do. That's what we do. Right? It's what Coffee Talk does. It's what Coffee Talk with Nan and Michelle does, also called Station to Station. But today, it's Coffee Talk. Or it's called Streaming Services. That's our band. That's our band. I mean, all the songs come from streaming services. They're going to be on streaming services when we sell them to them. That's true. Which is is the next step. After, right. right after this podcast is done. We're going to record the jingles. Yep, and then we're selling them. So if you would like to buy them for your company. $1,000 for one listen. $5,000 yeah. for five listens. So Nan, thank you for joining me. We're going to be making a whole bunch of money after this. We, we really appreciate everyone listening because I'm sure that you're very entertained. I'm, I'm entertained, so I really, you know, whatever. I do hope that you learned more about Nan through this. I did. <laughs> yeah, it's all, and again, it's all about learning, right? It is. We love learning here. Yeah. Coffee talk. So go read a book, too. Yeah, read. Read for us, and then tell us the plot. <laughs> <laughs> so then we don't have to read. Do you have any book recommendations before we go? Ooh, oh, yes, yes, yes. I have it right here. This is a book about Courtney Love written by her mother, Linda Carroll. Oh, wow. Okay. And it's, um, well, it's actually Linda's memoir. Okay. Details a young Courtney and the troubles they experienced. So I, I love it, naturally. She's, wow. Yeah. Got some stuff. I mean, I we, all, we all do, but wow. No, but for real. Thank you so much, Nan, for joining me. You are, as always, a delight. And we will continue talking and doing fun things and creating jingles. I had a great time on this podcast. <laughs> and it, what a treat. Thank you. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks to Nan for the tracks that you've heard in this episode, all of which are from projects Nan has been a part of. Bookending the show, Lion, followed by Yeah, both of those on Nan the One Night Stand's latest album, High Caliber. After that, 
Truth Teller from Shwervon, her duo with Matt Roth, then Space from Nay on the One Night Stands, and High Ceilings. That's going to do it for this episode of Station to Station. Thanks for tuning in, and special thanks to Patrick Spray and Chris Mowry. Please listen and subscribe to the Center Cuts podcast. I'll see you next time.